Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We had a good one as well. And you know, Thanksgiving meal is great. And then the days that follow, Thanksgiving leftovers are just as good. And uh, now for all of you who are, have been waiting to play Christmas music, you're on that tension. Do we do it before Thanksgiving or not? Whew, you can take a breath. And you can play all the Christmas music you want. It's wonderful. It uh, doesn't it look beautiful up here. I'm so thankful for all of those who uh, were here to help decorate and uh, who stayed last week, and I'm so thankful for that. We're starting today one of my favorite seasons of the year. Uh, I love this season. I love the colors. I love the music. I love the Christmas-flavored drinks. I always tease Christina that Starbucks doesn't have peppermint drinks until uh, the fall or till winter, like almost Christmas time. She always tells me they do, and I'm like, nope, they don't, because they don't come out until Christmas cups, right? Uh, <laughs> I love the cold weather. I love this season. Today, we're entering into what's known as the season of Advent, Uh, And this season of Advent is the season that begins the church calendar every year. It's the beginning of the the new year for the church. And I don't know if you knew that or not, uh, but I love it. I love that the church calendar begins in with Advent. Always the last Sunday of November, and it includes the four Sundays before Christmas. I think it's fitting that the church calendar starts with looking at the birth of Jesus. Don't you? The new year for the new church starts with new beginnings, new life, and ultimate hope. The season of Advent ends on Christmas Eve, and it's followed by the Christmas season, which starts on Christmas Day and goes for 12 days. Uh, I don't know if you knew that or not, but I love how that's kind of organized. Our family has this practice of, of celebrating Christmas, starting on Christmas Day, and actually leaving up our Christmas decorations and listening to Christmas music for the 12 days that follow, which is very different than our culture, isn't it? Usually, Christmas ends on Christmas Day. You're cleaning things up, getting ready for the new year. Uh, for some of us, Advent has been a long-standing practice, part of our spiritual life. But maybe for others, this practice of Advent might be new. In either case, it's good to be reminded why Advent is important. You heard it uh, read a little bit earlier that Advent means the coming or the arrival of. The New Testament word uh, was a word that was often associated with the arrival or the appearance of a king or a ruler, someone of significance uh, coming into town. I love that. So for the church in Advent, scripture attaches that significance to the Messiah, to Jesus. Advent acknowledges that Jesus is our creator, our redeemer, our long-awaited Messiah. It's who was written about in the Old Testament prophets, and he will reign, and he will rule, and he will set all things right. Do you have a longing for that (laughs) in these days? I sure do. Pastor Holly and I had a fun time talking about this earlier this week, but Advent is a season that, if done correctly, can be extremely formative uh, for our spiritual life. Advent has this progression of sorts to its practice. The, the tension that we live in is that we already know the end of the story, right? We know the story of Jesus in Scripture. We know that he dies on the cross. We know that he's resurrected, that he now sits at the right hand of the Father for all time. But part of Advent is to help us practice patience and waiting. Something we're all very good at, right? (laughs) 
patience and waiting, just like the ancient Jewish people had to do for hundreds of years, longing for their Messiah. We're not good at patience and waiting, generally speaking. Maybe some of you are. (laughs) But both are incredible spiritual practices because in waiting uh, and having patience, we learn what it means to long for God to anticipate his action in the world and in our lives. And that's what Advent is all about, to cultivate a longing for God that maybe we haven't had in a while. (laughs) Or an anticipation of, God, I need you to do something in the world. Please take action. Another important aspect of Advent uh, is that for the church, Advent is a time of reflection. So it's a time of waiting and patience, but it's also a time of reflection and remembrance that God has plans and purposes for his people, for you and for me. In Advent, one of the things the church does is look backward to the prophets uh, and to what the prophets in the Old Testament had to say about the coming Savior. Often, the Advent scriptures usually start with an Old Testament prophet in a place that's in desolation. (laughs) This deep longing, we hear the words of the prophets We need you to do something, God. That's usually where it starts. And so Advent is a time for us to reflect uh, and to look back and remember God's promise to all of us, to all creation. We reflect on what God has promised, his activity in the world. And what did he promise? Well, he promised to establish a kingdom, right? He promised to establish a kingdom, one that would be characterized by righteousness, justice, mercy, love, and an invitation to everyone, no matter who you are, where you come from, or the actions of your past. Isn't that a great invitation? (laughs) I love that. This is the kind of kingdom that that God has promised in the Old Testament that he's, he's working toward. God's kingdom is promised to bring peace, an ordering of all creation into relationship with its creator, setting all things right. Just think about that. That's what this time of year is all about for us to reflect and to remember that. Advent is a time where we're invited to think about God's intended plan for all creation and our lives. Be patient, wait, be reflective, and remember That's a meaningful, this is a meaningful season, right? (laughs) Maybe kind of a reorienting, kind of a resetting for us as we enter this season. These weeks are not just for getting ready for the commercialized holiday of Christmas that we're all so used to. For us, Advent is something so much deeper. Will you hear God's call? Will we hear God's call to this type of a season? God's plan is audacious, it's grand, it's glorious, and what God has planned is deeply personal for each of us. Amen? It's deeply personal for each of us and for our world. In fact, as we kick off Advent today, I want to look at a story that incl- that's very deeply personal and it includes some significant heartbreak and shame and sadness, but it's a story that ends up incredibly hope-filled. So I want to look at a little bit of a different story for the beginning of Advent than we would normally do, but it's still part of the beginning story of Jesus coming to earth. We find the story at the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 1 in verse 1, and it's the story of the birth of John the Baptist. I love John the Baptist. What a guy. He as a, 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 he's related to Jesus, and we know that he is the one who will eventually be the voice in the wilderness trying to prepare everyone for the coming of the Messiah. 
Uh, and it's amazing, this character, John the Baptist, this person is amazing. But his story begins with a lot of disappointment and hardship. We all know, right? I want us to keep this in mind as we think about this story, that life can be difficult, right? Hasn't it been difficult these past couple of years? Life can be difficult, full of disappointments and hardships. Uh, and the story that we enter into is a difficult story, beginning by being marked with disappointment, shame, and deep longing. In a lot of ways, the beginning of the story with John the Baptist, it mirrors the history of the ancient Israelites who endured so much hardship and waited uh, for so long for some help. So we're going to read the first few verses of this, and this is the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, John's mom and dad. So it starts like this. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah and his wife, Elizabeth, who was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. This is how this thing starts. And I think it's important for us to try to feel the weight of what we're told about this situation. There's not many things in life as emotionally challenging as a couple who deeply desires to have a child and is unable to do so. Maybe that has been uh, part of your own experience, and maybe not. But there's a deep sense of hopelessness in this kind of a situation that can be overwhelming. And this is especially true for Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were childless. Elizabeth was barren. And it might be difficult for us to understand what this meant in ancient Israel. But there's significant shame in this culture if one is not able to bear children. I think as we read the story, it's difficult for us to truly understand what that meant in its cultural context. But uh, to try to truly capture the despair, the cultural shame of barrenness in this ancient culture is significant. Her deepest, most meaningful role had been stripped away by an inability of her body, not of her own choice. And what's worse is that as we enter into the story, they're late in life. The scripture says they're very old, right? So Elizabeth is barren, childless, and at this point, all hope is lost because of their advanced age. Elizabeth's season for childbearing, uh, even if she could, passed long ago. So it's important to understand this. She was unable to carry out the sacred duty of her culture. One author I read this week wrote this, the emptiness of her womb just might be surpassed by, only by the emptiness of her spirit. See, we are supposed to be able to feel the weighty despair of the situation as we enter into the story. Maybe a good uh, kind of way in for that for us is to empathize with uh, what we're reading and recognize this idea of emptiness in the story. In fact, I think this is the powerful understanding as we see what comes next. An empty womb, an empty heart, empty home, empty hope, emptiness all around at the beginning of this story. And here's the thing, if we pay attention there is emptiness all over our world too, right? Emptiness everywhere. 
our culture and lives, even maybe even in our own journey, we can feel so emptiness, empty. We work with people who have empty spirits, empty hopes, who have empty relationships, who are seeking purpose and belonging, and they can't find it anywhere. There's a sense of deep emptiness in our world today. Have you experienced that? Do you know someone who might say, yeah, Here's the good news of Advent, and here's where it gets real exciting real fast. Emptiness does not have the last word. Amen? The story of Advent is about God breaking into the emptiness, our emptiness, in surprising and unexpected ways. When all hope was lost, something happens. Praise the Lord. I'm in, right? You see, Advent doesn't ignore emptiness. Oftentimes when we're experiencing emptiness with people, or we might encounter that relationally, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. And so sometimes we ignore that. Or we might talk, begin to talk about something uh, different. Advent doesn't ignore the emptiness of our world. It addresses it. Advent is about the expectation of the fullness that comes with a God who responds to us. Advent is the announcement of how God will address the emptiness of our world. He'll do it through Jesus Christ the Messiah. And how does he do it? Uh, he, how does he announce this news? He began to announce the news to the people of God with a miracle that was never supposed to happen. Hope and despair, a little child from an empty womb. God announces his plan, addresses the emptiness of his people with a miracle, John the Baptist. And he isn't even the long-awaited Messiah, (laughs) right? I love it. It's like God's just showing off. It's like a mic drop moment. (laughs) Uh, I love how God works. Breaking into the story a new source of hope. Hope that can fill the void of any emptiness that's all around us. And this new hope extends to this very day, this very Advent season, as you sit in these chairs or as you uh, join in online from home or wherever you are. This hope that started way back then has not stopped (laughs) and can powerfully, continually and powerfully address the emptiness of our world and even of our lives. God can bring hope to hopeless and fullness to the empty. We see this wonderful example of that in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. One day while Zechariah was serving in the temple, going about his duties, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Sounds familiar, right? (laughs) You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites uh, to the Lord their God. He will be a man with, with the spirit and power of Elijah, Wow. Uh, And he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. What a description of who this person will be. Uh, And as we go on, we learn that Zechariah, ironically, was not quite prepared uh, for this news of joy that came his way. His hope had left him. 
uh, which as we'll see, which leads to some consequences a little bit later on. Uh, but I love the, the irony in this is that his, John, his son's whole role will be to prepare the people for the news that Jesus is coming. And Zechariah was certainly not prepared for what he just heard. Emptiness for Zechariah is gone and hope has arrived. And the angel is essentially saying, are you ready? <laughs> Maybe that's a question that we can, that, that, that the Lord is asking us this day in this Advent season. Are you ready for what the Lord is going to do, what he has been doing, and what he will continue to do. So as we kind of look at the story, I want to I zoom in on Zechariah and Elizabeth real quickly. I want to highlight a couple of three things that I think are really important to notice about this story uh, that help us understand hope in the midst of emptiness. The first is this, that Zechariah had to recognize his fear in order to experience hope. When the angel first came to Zechariah, it says that he was gripped with fear. Uh, but the angel wanted Zechariah to know that his prayer had been answered. God had heard his prayer. And he says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. It's important to note that Zechariah is not condemned for being afraid. And I'm very thankful for that because we often face things in our lives that can cause us fear. Right? Can't we? And uh, Maybe you've experienced that kind of thing before. His fear is natural. Uh, it's probably expected. Maybe even seems reasonable. When an angel of the Lord shows up at your job, you might be afraid. We see, his, uh, we see actually this reaction often in scripture when angels showed up. But because of his fear, the first words of the angel were to him, do not be afraid. Uh, before the angel could move to the good news uh, that Zechariah was about to hear, he had to address Zechariah's fear. So I think the question is not whether we will uh, face fear in our lives. We all have to deal with fear from time to time and in different situations. But the angel's message is powerful because the phrase that he uses, do not be afraid, can also mean don't be overwhelmed by fear. And we need to hear that. There is something that can overcome the fear. God's plan, the purpose that he gives our lives, and ultimately the presence of God himself. Isn't that good news for us? Don't be afraid. You can trust God and his presence will give you hope. The presence of Jesus addresses our fear and gives us hope. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. The angel is about to start the story of the coming of Jesus, right? And if, if I were that angel, I'd be all giddy and excited. What, we get to do this? I can't believe we're really, we're, this is really beginning. Hey, listen, Zachariah, really, don't be afraid. You need to give yourself completely to this plan that God has in mind because it's beyond anything you will ever imagine. You know, these prayers that your people have been praying for hundreds of years, God's about to answer those. And you, this is the beginning of all of that. It will lead to your salvation. In fact, the salvation of everyone, the redemption of everything. Do not be afraid. God has heard your prayer. There's so much to be hopeful for. Isn't that exciting? Maybe we need to hear the words of the, of the angel this morning. When we're facing fear in our lives, don't be afraid. God is with you. He has a plan for you. And he wants to address the emptiness that you might experience in your own life and in our world with 
newfound hope. The second thing, uh, to experience hope, Zechariah had to act in faith. We have just come out of a series on uh, James, and we've been careful to make this connection between the faith that we're called to and, the, and how we put that into action. That's a necessary step. It's the first two steps of our discipleship pathway. Are we learning and growing, experiencing God's, uh, experiencing Jesus himself, the scripture? Are we letting that challenge us? And as we're going through that learning, are we putting that into action? Are we taking steps to love other people around us? So to experience hope, Zechariah had to act in faith. And uh, the good news is that fear was not Zechariah's final response to the angel's words. At first, Zechariah had a hard time believing the angel. uh, Almost as if to say, hey, angel dude, are you seeing me? Uh, Do you know how old my wife and I are? (laughs) I'm not sure this is going to work out, right? (laughs) What you say sounds wonderful, but I'm not convinced it's going to happen. And Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure that this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. I was, it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. I love Zachariah. We can relate to him so well here. He essentially asks the angel for proof. Uh, Zachariah tested the angel, much like crowds in the New Testament tested Jesus for a sign so that they'll believe in his authority, right? So this obviously doesn't go very well for Zachariah. His objection seems natural uh, and maybe as natural as that of Mary, who just a few verses later will ask the angel that comes to her something very similar. How can this happen? But for Zechariah to experience this fullness of hope that was presented to him in this moment, it required a faith response. I love this kind of call to action that we keep hearing throughout the scriptures. And honestly, I can relate so well with how we responded here. Maybe you can as well. Uncertainty, wondering, that's how my head and heart might start this. I don't know, you gotta help me out here with this. Uh, but the, and the angel certainly helps him out, but maybe not in the way that, that he expected. The angel gives him proof, but also this consequence, which is certainly too bad for Zechariah. It helps him later solidify his faith as he learns to trust God. And maybe this is something that we can all learn from, this kind of response and this consequence that Zechariah experiences. First, the angel shares his name, Gabriel, the one who stands in the very presence of God, and it was God who sent him, an archangel of heaven. Those are pretty good credentials, right? (laughs) And then Gabriel makes Zechariah unable to speak until the birth of his promised child. Just imagine what that would have been like going home. And Elizabeth comes home, Elizabeth, Elizabeth is like, how was your day, Zach? Oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. What do you think? Nothing. (laughs) That would have been kind of an awkward moment, right? But our ability to have faith in God's promise, even when we can't see the bigger picture, certainly takes some practice. But we can and we should trust God. That's what we've been talking through over these past few weeks is learning how to have that kind of faith. So when we encounter these kind of circumstances, our response hopefully will more likely be trusted faith than it is fear and uncertainty. But we know that that's a process as we grow uh, in faith with God. The last thing I want to note note here is that in order to experience hope, we need to embrace God's grace. 
Elizabeth became pregnant just as the angel had said. She rejoices at the pregnancy. And she's, it says, when Zechariah's week of service at the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. One of the most beautiful bits of Advent, I think, is to embrace the fact that God is a redeeming God taking disgrace and turning it into a fullness of grace. Amen? Have you ever experienced that in your own life? He is a redeemer and savior. He is the long-awaited Messiah bringing bringing fullness of grace into the emptiness of our world. That dichotomy is just mind-blowing. And I'm so thankful for what God has done and will do. His plan is one of rescue and renewal. Did you know that his plan and God's grace is given not only to Zechariah and Elizabeth and people way back then, but here and now to you as well and to our whole world? The question is, how will you respond to it today? God could have chosen any other way to start the story, but the birth of John the Baptist is one of sheer grace, overwhelming grace to Zechariah and Elizabeth. In fact, This pattern is pretty typical of God throughout the scriptures, right? Don't fear, have faith, trust in me, my grace abounds. That's a pretty good pattern. (laughs) Uh, Talk about a great way to fill the emptiness of the world. Likewise, the gift of Jesus is sheer grace shown to each of us. I'm sure that little John was a source of incredible joy for uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth uh, as he grew But this is only the beginning of the story. What happens just a few verses later in Luke with Jesus' birth announcement would be the ultimate act of grace for us all. I love, like we mentioned before, that often the Old Testament starts with the prophets in very desolate places saying, God, we need you. Zechariah and Elizabeth were in a desolate and barren place. And God came with his overwhelming and abundant grace to fill the emptiness of their life and the world with the fullness and hope that he has planned for us all. Praise Jesus. Thank the Lord. Amen. And the grace extends to us. We can respond to that here and now today. It's not just for them, but it's for you and me as well. Jesus is our ultimate joy and hope. We may have hope for many things, but our deepest longing, our deepest hope can only be filled by Jesus. Worship team, would you come back up? Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, we are so thankful for this season. I love Advent. We, I think many of us love all the different aspects and elements of this season that we're entering into, but God, may we uh, not get so caught up in the, the shopping and uh, the, the Christmas gatherings and all of that kind of stuff that we forget what this is all about, that this is about us waiting on you, longing for you that you answered the emptiness of our world with the fullness of grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we today can enter the story in this fun way at looking at Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist. We love you, Jesus. May you overwhelm our fear with your grace. May we trust you more and more every day. May we respond to your action in our lives and in the world. 
We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.